And now, from Race of the One Light, with his commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. Week three. Is God present even there where there is ignorance? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness within in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. The Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, makes a reference to the divine light that is obscured to the rational faculty, but that enlightens our, in our higher nature. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended not. Reason recoils from this statement with innumerable questions. What is this darkness? Is it conscious that is, it should comprehend anything? What sort of light would be capable of shining in darkness without transforming at least that part of the darkness in which it shines into light? Does this light shine only at night? And if so, why only then? The solution is that, to divine sight, even daylight seems darkness. The sun itself, like the moon, which shines only by reflecting light from the sun, is but a kind of reflection of the cosmic light, which, being immaterial, is invisible to the eyes, but which is the great source of all material reality. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda describes his joyful visit to Ram Gopal Musandar, the slippery saint who lived in the, in the vision of that hidden light. Around midnight, Yogananda wrote, Ram Gopal fell into silence, and I lay down on my blankets. Closing my eyes, I saw flashes of lightning. The vast space within me was a chamber of molten light. I opened my eyes and observed the same dazzling radiance. The room became a part of the infinite vault which I behold with interior vision. Why don't you go to sleep? Sir, how can I sleep in the presence of lightning blazing wherever my eyes are shut or open? You are blessed to have this experience. The spiritual radiations are not easily seen. The saint added a few words of affection. This is the light that shineth in darkness. It has been described variously in the great scriptures. In the Bhagavad Gita, the 11th chapter, the devotee Arjuna is given an experience of the infinite state of that claims in awe. If there should rise suddenly within the skies some burst of a thousand suns, flooding earth with beams and dim of, then might be that Holy One's majesty and radiance dreamed of. Thus, holy, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone. <coughs> Thank you for joining us. My name is Atman, this is Bhakti Marg. It's our joy to share service with you, wherever you are. There aren't very many of us here in the Temple of Light, but we trust there's lots of people out there in the uh, ether sphere. <laughs> so 
Today our subject continues with a discussion of light as we have for the last couple of weeks. And let me start with a reading from Whispers from Eternity. Make us transparent that thy light may shine through us unimpeded. The sunbeams of thy love shine equally on all members of thy cosmic family, whether prophet, hero, villain, tiny moth, or me. It is our own fault if we make ourselves opaque by our own mental and emotional dullness. Teach us to wipe away the dirt of error from the windows of our understanding. Our arms are weak for the task, owing to our long inner spiritual resistance. O Master Cleanser, lend power to our efforts that we may wipe away every last spot that clings to our minds, obscuring our transparency and preventing free entry to thy light. O make us fully clean again, invisible in our egos, because transmitting only visions of thy beauty, which lies within us. So light is a very common theme throughout our teachings here at Ananda, the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda, of Kriyananda, but even beyond that, I mean, here, here if you just, it tends to be so much a part of what we do that we sort of forget all these references to light and what we're really referring to. So I want to talk a little bit about that today, but, you know, we have every Sunday, we have a festival of light where we offer light, the arati, to the masters. We have a fire ceremony, the light. We put candles at our altars, those lights. That light is a symbol of God, a symbol that we're aspiring to. We read from rays of the one light every week. We have a, a book that Swami wrote, uh, Cities of Light, that outlines what we're trying to do here at Ananda Village. That concept of light is, is with us everywhere. But what's, and we're actually here in the temple of light at Ananda Village. And when we dedicated this temple, it's been two and a half years ago now, we had uh, one of the moving, most moving parts of that week was a gathering of representatives from various world traditions, spiritual traditions and religions, because we've dedicated this temple in the tradition of Yogananda, not only to one religion, but a, a temple of all religions. And we express that in as a temple of light. And here in the temple, there are altars on the side to all <coughs> representatives of the world's great spiritual traditions. And we had a number of speakers spoke very eloquently about the meaning and the place of light in their traditions. And it's something that we find all over, throughout history, throughout these. And as I was thinking about this, I think it's something to be very important for us in this time to use, to keep in mind as a thread that joins us all together, that joins these religions. And, you know, we're always looking for, you know, ecumenical things. How can we join the world's religions? And as soon as the rational mind gets in there, you can find all these differences. And where, but, you know, there's this unifying theme of light that's present in almost all of them. If you, from way, way, way back, time immemorial, if you look at the Vedas and Hinduism, they speak often of the, the light, the Gayatri mantra that we chanted 
today. It's a mantra for that effulgence, that supreme radiance of the divine, and bringing that into our lives to create enlightenment in ourselves. That's, you know, 4,000 years ago was that was. And then the Buddha spoke of enlightenment, of sitting, of gaining that light, and light in his consciousness. And it's a theme throughout many parts of, of Buddhism. There's, uh, in the Tibetan traditions, there's a, a specific being that's that, that being of light that is worshiped and worshiped with a camphor lights and brought into their, <clears throat> into people's beings. And if you look at uh, Zoroastrianism, another major religion that grew out of Persia in the, before the Christian era, and there the world is looked at as a struggle between light and darkness. The Aura Mazda, the great supreme being of light, is the one who's running this universe and is the one people are aspiring to. And of course, in the Abrahamic religions of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, they all refer to various scenes of light, of God appearing in clouds of light, in Moses coming down from the mountain, his, his face transfigured because he had been in the light of the Lord, bringing that law, bringing the, the basis of the Judaic faith. And in the Quran, there's, they say there's 99 different names for God in the Quran. One of those is light, al-nur, that light of light, the symbol of the lamp in the mosque, the symbol of the lamp during Ramadan. There's always a lamp burning, that symbol of God's light coming into people's lives. And of course, in Christianity, there's uh, numerous examples of the of, the, of light coming, angels, archangels, beings of light, clouds of light, it's, it's all there. And as we move forward in history more, monarchyism was another major religion in the, again, it started in the Middle East, but it spread through Asia, even into China. And for a thousand years, it was a very principal religion in man's search for the spiritual quest. And, that whole religion is, is put forth as a, a, a struggle between light and darkness. And in that one, it's not clear that the light is going to win, but it's the light that people are always aspiring to and being aware of that pulling force of darkness coming back through us. So why is it that that light is such a, a, a dominant force in this? Well, it's because it's actually a real experience. And in many of the religious scriptures, there's, they recount various incidences where that light has, has come forth, where that light has played into things. I mean, one of, the, one of the basic ones in the two religions that we deal with most here, Christianity and Hindu, there's the transfiguration of Christ out on Mount Tabor, he brought his, three closest disciples, Peter, John, and James. He took them up to the mount to pray. And as they were praying, he was, he was transfigured. He showed that true light. He was lifted up in robes of white light, in robes of white, surrounded in light. And there was this glimpse that those disciples saw of that true nature of what was it that animated that Christ consciousness. And in the reading we saw today, from the 11th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, the revelation of Krishna, <coughs> Arjuna, 
is studying with Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita, learning all about yoga. And he says, oh, Krishna, oh, great one, please give me the boon to see thee in thy cosmic form. And so Krishna goes into this, his divine vision, divine ecstasy. It's one of, it's one of the most inspiring, beautiful passages of the Bhagavad Gita, the 11th chapter. Now, tune back into it if you haven't, but it describes, as it says in the reading, if a thousand suns were to appear in the sky, they wouldn't even hint at the brilliance, at the effulgence of this divine being that was a, had appeared to Arjuna. So that, that light is there. And it's also in the experience of maybe not the avatars, Christ and Krishna were both avatars, but you see it throughout the writings of all the different saints. Uh, one of them that I was thinking about recently one that Swami talked about often is St. Simeon, the new theologian. And as Swami would always say, he, was, he wasn't really new. He lived about a thousand years ago. So in the first, at the very end of the first millennium of this era, he was a, a scholar, head of a monastery. And he was of the school of theosis, which was a, a school of mysticism at that time, rooted in Christianity, more the Orthodox tradition of the East, that said the goal of our lives is to commune with that divine light, to commune with God coming to us in this brilliance. And he had many, many experiences during his life. He said, I would often be lifted bodily out of my, lifted up out of my body and embraced in this cloud of light that Christ would come to me and speak to me as a brilliant light, and that we all, through prayer, through meditation, through purification, we can all commune with that divine light. And he dedicated his life to teaching about that, to pursuing that. Of course, the church sort of pushed him aside and excommunicated him. Well, I don't know if they excommunicated him, but they, they labeled him as, you know, they, they, as they often do with saints, he was pushed to the side and not uh, that branch of religion didn't take root into the, to the bureaucracy or to the dogmas. But we have to remember those, those roots are there. Another story of, of Christendom that's critical to the spread of, the, of Christianity is the, the story of Saul. So Saul was a was someone who was not very fond of the Christians. As a matter of fact, he used his position, his power to persecute and find Christians and do them great bodily harm. And he took that on as his mission to stamp out these heretics. And then there's the famous part of the Bible where it's recounted that he was on the road to Damascus. And what happened? Lo and behold, a great brilliant light appeared to him, blinding him. And from that light spoke a voice. And Saul said, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus. Why are you persecuting my followers? And of course, Saul was transformed by this. He didn't regain his sight. He was blinded by this light. He didn't regain his sight for three more days. He made it to Damascus. And then eventually Ananias came and by touching him, healed his sight and he took that light within, the light of Christ, and he dedicated himself to spreading the teachings of Christ, the teachings of Jesus through that light. And this, this light, 
this, this, it's in, it's there, it's in our very nature and it's in our most, some of our most basic celebrations in, in the world. That element of light is there. In the Christian world, the, the light at Christmas time, it's the, the birth of that Christ consciousness. We put lights outside, we put lights on the trees. You know, we put lights on Santa Claus too, but you know, where did that image of the lights come from? That light is that light of the God we're coming out within us. And if you look at uh, Hinduism, Diwali, one of their most important celebrations in the Hindu calendar, usually happens around the month of November, is Diwali, the festival of light. It's when light comes back, you share that light, spread that light through gifts. And that Diwali is celebrated by the Sikhs, it's celebrated by the Jains, and it's a slightly different mythic roots. I mean, in Hinduism, it's the celebration of Rama returning from vanquishing evil, Ravana coming back from Lanka to return home. And that's what the Hindu celebration is. In, the, in some of the other ones, the Sikhs uh, celebrated as the return of the guru, the light of the guru coming back up. And the, similarly, the Jains and even some of the Buddhists take that in the festival of light, that return of the light. In the Judaic tradition, there's Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a festival of light. We light the candles. And it's, again, rooted in a remembrance of a specific tradition back in 160 BC, where the Judah reestablished, took over the temple, kicked out the conquerors, and reestablished the, the Jewish faith in the temple in Jerusalem. And the miracle was there wasn't only enough oil for the lamp to burn for one night, but lo and behold, it burned for eight nights until the Jews could find some more oil and bring it and replenish that. So again, there's a, there's a tradition, a mythic in there, but what is it really? It's the celebration of that light coming back, that celebration of that light of God being with us. So why is it that this resonates so much with us and throughout all these traditions? Well, as the teachings of Sanatana Dharma brought by Paramahansa Yogananda, our teacher and guru say, it's just the nature of reality. It's what is really behind this. At the moment of the start of creation, there was this flash of light, the big bang, and this, this light came out to animate the universe. And in the, there's more of an explanation and commentary on this on the, on the 15th chapter in the Bhagavad Gita. It talks about that ohas, the, the divine creative light energy which comes out and pervades all forms, all, all manifestations in this universe are sustained by that. If that light is withdrawn, if that light goes back, the, the universe dissolves as if the end of a day of Brahma. And we are made in that image of light. We come from the causal world down through the astral world into the physical world. But it is that manifestation of that, 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 that beam, that ohas that's coming out that brings us into this. And in our path of self-realization, we're trying to get back to that. We're trying to find our way of reversing that to get back into the pure light. And so most of the world's traditions, well, all of them have gone through Kali Yuga, and most have lost this sense of what it is that's really there, but the symbolism is there. And I think why it's so important to emphasize in an ecumenical 
discussion is because I think for most people that there's something there, that light. So whether it's people who have had an experience of an angel or experience of an astral being or have felt a, a illumination, a great light, or have just, you know, maybe seen an aura. I mean, we all have energy bodies. Everybody on the planet has a body of energy and that sometimes it's visible. Sometimes those emanations can be seen, especially in a higher soul. Or maybe it's a time of death. We move from this body, we move back through a tunnel of light into the astral world that people have all come from the astral world and they probably, we probably all have a remembrance of that beauty, that light, that where we came from. That's not the pure light, but it's a step above from where we are in the mud of the material world. And people have that memory. And so they, people, people know where they've come from and they can relate to that. Even if it's not on a conscious level, when they, when they see these things, they, it, it sparks something, it, it speaks to them. And I think at this time, especially, we can foster that light in this world. We talk about being warriors of light, of, of fostering those attitudes that bring the, the light of a higher consciousness, you know, that put aside the darker, more downward pulling of fear, anger, greed, hatred, jealousy, and replace those with those upward moving parts of that light, that intelligence of that light. So in our own lives, I think it's important. Again, I said we're surrounded, we on the spiritual path, or this, we're surrounded by these references to light. And maybe we can become a little bit more conscious, a little bit more tuned in when we do this, instead of just, you know, may the light of Christ shine upon the light of this, light of that, you know, just wait a minute, what are we talking about here? This is the light that animates, that is, it, it, it's our very existence we owe to that light and to tune into that. So whether it's maybe when we're doing the festival of light, like we'll do in a few minutes here, tune into that. What is it we're doing? Said, may the light of Christ shine upon me. You know, may I become ever increasingly pure channel for that light into this world as we do the arati. We're offering the little light that is in us up to that blazing light of infinity. You know, make me a pure channel for that light into this world. And as you're meditating, if you have a light on your altar or light the candle, what is it? That light, that symbol, focus on it. Bring that into your, into your meditation. Another place that it's, I think people, <coughs> it's pretty universal, can relate to is, uh, is light in nature. And especially at sunrise and sunset, there's a very special time and it's a very special light. And you know, maybe it's reminiscent of the astral world. Maybe it's a time when we can, we can focus directly on the main light in our lives, the, the sun. It's a, one of the practices Yogananda recommended is focusing on the, the rising or setting sun and, and look at it and try to draw that light into it, draw it in as a symbol of God's love. And I was recently on vacation and we were fortunate to be in a place where we could watch the, the sunrise in the ocean. And so we made it a point, you know, every morning to be there and watching the sunrise. And then I thought, wait a minute, the sun rises and sets, you know, every day. And I live in a place where there's very easy to see that sunrise and sunset. What if I like spent 
put a little more energy into trying to be present at those times. So lately I've been trying to be more present at the sunset and just to feel in those astral colors that come in the winter sky, to feel God's light coming in there. And again, if you, uh, some of the most um, unifying experiences that I've ever had in nature have come at times when there's a, a reflection of light, either in the clouds, you know, a great alpine glow on the mountains, a mystical light, or especially a light on water and the little ripples of light on the water that either a sunbeam, especially at the setting of rising sun or a moonbeam, it breaks that light into these scintillating points of light. And if you just meditate on that and, and look at that, it'll, it's really, I mean, for me, it's been very, very transformative. It's really, at times, I think lifted me into another plane of consciousness as I contemplate that light on the water or at the ocean. It reminds us of the astral world. And one of the things you can do is read in the autobiography the, the chapter about the resurrection of Sri Yukteswar. It's this detailed description of the astral plane. And read that and think of that when you're there at the sunset or the sunrise or seeing the, the light on the water. Uh, another thing that I've been doing that's been very, very helpful and transformative is really working with the Gayatri Mantra. It's a mantra we do every Sunday. As I said, the, the meaning is that you know, we, we, we meditate on the supreme effulgence. May it transform and enlighten our consciousness. So it's a very ancient mantra. It's all about bringing light. And as I've been walking times, I, would just, I started repeating the Gayatri Mantra, especially as I'm walking to go see a sunset or the sunrise or something like that. It's, it's very powerful. So then, of course, there's there's more our specific practices that, of course, we we try to you know try to commune with the light in our lives, and that is, of course, during meditation, we're trying to bring energy up. We're trying to focus at the point between the eyebrows. We're trying to see light there. We're trying to go into that light. That's our point of exit, and that's a point where we can get out of this physical being and we can move into that sense of, of communion with the light. And it doesn't matter if you don't see the spiritual eye perfectly, you know, just behind closed eyes in metaphysical meditations, there's a meditation in there that just says, look behind closed eyes and just see the, the violet or reddish radiance and try to feel yourself moving into that. Try to feel it as surrounding you in this ocean of light and being part of that. Or of course, if you do see it, try to focus in the spiritual eye, try to consciously, and again, this is it's something you have to remind yourself because sometimes we'll see a light and then we just kind of go on with our medications, but we have to consciously commune with that light of pulling light there, of trying to merge our consciousness into that. And it's, it's just, it's individual for everybody, how, what that is, how you do this, and what is it, but just, Make an will, use your will, use your energy to try to merge, to try to move into that light. And then of course, the most important one probably is the guru. What does guru mean? Gu, the root in Sanskrit means darkness, ru means light. Guru, the bringer of light, the bringer of enlightenment, our guru. And just think that is, 
That is the channel which is really going to help us commune with that light, that touch that comes, whether the guru's in the body or not, but from an enlightened being to be able to bring that into the light for us. So I'd like us to all just keep focusing, being conscious of what light means when we hear to light. Think of that animating force that's behind everything and was trying to bring us back, to get beyond all these forms, beyond all this dross, to get our, our windows cleaned, as it said in the, in the readings from Whispers, but to, to focus back into that. And also to think of spreading that light, to think of being a warrior of light, because it's really needed in this time in the world. We're, we're in a time where that struggle of light and darkness, you know, it was, it was happening in Zoroaster's time, it's happening in our time. There's a struggle between light and darkness going on, between the things that are pulling us down and things that move us in the right direction to uplift us. And the more we can tune into that of helping the world move that light out, move it on, in many, many ways, because as I said, every one of us, every human being knows at some level that they are a spark of that light. And it's just to help to awaken in that. And again, I would urge us all to maybe go back to our affirmation that we'd be doing, the warriors of light, and to bring that up because it's, it's always very valuable. And so let's, I just wanna close going through that affirmation for warriors of light. So close your eyes, and you know, many of us know it from having done it for a long time. But just, uh, I'll say a line, then you can repeat it mentally after me. And tune into this a concept that's behind this. God's light is within me and around me. With a sword of faith in my hand, with the love of God in my heart, I am a warrior of light. I join my brothers and sisters everywhere to overcome fear with faith, hatred with love, and disease with health. We all are warriors of light. We fill the world with God's light. Om Shanti. Come gather round, let joy sing out today. Dawn now is breaking, and the mountains say it's only light can make the darkness run. Lift up your head, greet the rising sun. Joy resounds.
Come with me, we'll chant our battles won, shots not of anger, joy will be our God. Before the light, the veils have surrendered, in inner freedom, all delusions end, mm -hmm. all delusions end.